Good morning. Uh, will you open up with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We are in a sermon series that is entitled Armageddon. Wait, that's not right. That, no. Go to the next one. Oh, it's the rapture. No, it's not the rapture. Oh, it's the abomination that causes desolation. That must be, that doesn't sound right either. Oh, it's blameless. That's the name of the sermon series. Uh, First Thessalonians is uh, well known uh, for this passage right here, uh, which talks about the day of the Lord. It talks about uh, when God will come back. And some people call that the rapture. Some people call that Armageddon. Some people talk about the abomination that causes desolation or the Antichrist. All these different words and discussions about, about the coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus has fascinated many throughout centuries. Books have been written trying to piece together everything Jesus said, everything the biblical writers said, and of course everything that's in Revelation. I mean, the Left Behind series was a fiction book on this topic that swept the nation, uh, even leading to a movie. Many want to know, when will Jesus come back? What will it look like? Will our generation experience the trials and the persecution that the Bible describes? Is the rapture a real thing? Will people really disappear from their cars while they're driving down Chapman Highway? I like to read some of it. I have my own theories. I've often, often said that I'm a pan-millennialist, which means it'll all pan out in the end. And I recognize the importance to some, and I recognize that it's really interesting. But I also think a lot of the talk is distracting. I think many have gotten bogged down with the literal readings of apocalyptic literature that's led to fear, anxiety, confusion about what the future might hold. Ironically, this happens to be the case of the Thessalonian church. And so I've organized my sermon this morning just to be a little bit different. I think uh, in this section, Paul is clearing up some confusion, and then he directs the church's focus on how to live in anticipation for the second coming of Christ. We're going to pray together, and then I'm going to read first. First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Father God, as we uh, read your word this morning, we pray that your words will speak boldly to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that your spirit will move among us in such a way that we can truly understand your truth. We are so grateful to gather together to praise and honor your name, to think about the hope that is found in your son, Jesus Christ, and that which lies beyond the grave. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul starts his conversation by saying, Brothers and sisters, 
We do not want you to be ignorant, he says, about those who have fallen asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that those that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will arise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Paul uses some terminology here to describe death on earth. Uh, the early Christians especially emphasized that death was not the end. And so sleep became a metaphor to describe our earthly death. It seems as though the Thessalonians were afraid that those who died might miss out on the victory of Christ's second coming. What if they died before Jesus was returned? They would miss out on all the festivities. They would miss out on the trumpet. They would miss out on the glory of Jesus Christ appearing again. And so Paul uses a visiting emperor metaphor to describe the process. Imagine you were living in Thessalonica, and you're going about your busy day, maybe as a blacksmith or a farmer or a tradesman, and you hear the news, the emperor is coming to town. He'll be visiting next week. Well, you're going to join with all the other citizens to get your city ready for the visit if grandma dies that week, you might say, oh, grandma, if you just would have lived a few, few more days later, you could have experienced something you always hoped for, to get to see the emperor ride into the city. And the city would go out and meet the emperor and escort him into the city where there would be festivities. That's why they were afraid that if you died, you missed out. The reality is, as Paul clears it up, that those who have preceded us in death will rise first and meet Jesus before we even get to ourselves who are left here on earth. And the emperor Jesus Christ will meet us outside those city gates. Along with Jesus Christ will, become, will come the new Jerusalem, the new city, the new heaven, the new earth, and we will be together. 
Jesus tells a parable that has this metaphor in mind. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 1, Jesus says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went outside to meet the bridegroom. Now, this is an incredibly odd verse for us Americans to hear because it's disconnected from our culture, right? In Jewish culture, the engagement was a legal transaction that took place between the families. And then the groom would go to prepare a place for his bride. You probably remember Jesus saying that he's going to prepare a place for us. The groom would go and prepare a place for his bride. Sometimes that meant uh, building an addition to the parents' home. Sometimes it meant building a house on the parents' land or just getting a home ready for his new wife. Regardless, it took time. These homes did not go up like the new subdivisions in Knoxville. It took some time. And sometimes the groom was a long time. And the bride was waiting and waiting, much like we would be waiting. The parable was that these women who had gone out to meet the groom had to be ready for when he returned. Because when he returned, these women would escort the groom into the wedding festivities. You see the connections between what Paul says in Thessalonians and what Jesus says in this parable. There will be a meeting place where we will all see Jesus again. And in this metaphor, the bride is the church and Jesus is the groom. And these ten virgins are you and me who are part of the church and must be ready for when Jesus comes back. In a nutshell, Paul is saying, don't worry. If you die before Jesus comes back, you're not missing out. And don't worry, he said, it's going to be loud. There'll be trumpets. You'll see it. You're not going to miss out. Everybody's going to get to participate. So that's one of the first confusions that Paul feels like he needs to just kind of sort out. So they weren't worried about that. They weren't anxious about that. It didn't take away from their hope. And he goes on to clear up something else. He says, now brothers, starting in verse 1 of chapter 5, now brothers about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Paul answers the age-old question, when is Jesus coming back? And the answer is clear. We don't know. And remember, Jesus didn't know. In Mark chapter 13, verse 32, it says, but about the day or hour, no one knows. 
Not even the angels in heaven know. Not even the Son. But only the Father. Now Jesus tells another parable in Luke chapter 12 that connects to this conversation. It starts in chapter 12 in verse 41. And Peter asks, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at their proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose with me that this servant, remember his job is to feed the other servants. What if this servant decides, my master is taking a long time in coming, and he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and he begins to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him or in an hour when he is not aware, and he's going to cut him to pieces, assign him a place with the unbelievers. And the parable here gives us the idea that this servant realizes that it's been a long time, 2,000 years. It has been a long time. And in response to waiting, he begins to treat his neighbors and coworkers poorly, almost like he has the right to do so. Let us fall, not fall into this same temptation, but eagerly wait for the Lord to return. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but we have to be patient. And what I learned from that parable is that impatience breeds harsh words to loved ones. I don't know if any of you are parents. Have you ever got impatient with your kids and said some harsh words? I know JC's never, but most of you probably have. Right, Malachi? <laughs> I told you to clean your room 10 minutes ago. Insert harsh words that you wish you could take back. I think impatience breeds unpreparedness. When you're in a hurry to get out the door, many times I leave stuff at home, right? Nothing is worse than when I get here to church and I've left my computer on the dining room table at home and I got to turn around and go back. When I'm in a hurry, when I'm impatient, many times I try to take things into my own hands. And patience breeds a level of control, unhealthy control, where I try to take things into my own hands. And then what happens? It's not done well. The servant of this parable 
fell into all these categories when he grew impatient. And we do not need to fall into the same temptation as we wait for the Lord to return. And so he clarifies any confusion that if you die, you're not going to miss out on the Lord's returning, that God does not tell you when the date is going to be. You just got to be ready. And then that's when he brings it all together and he focuses their attention. Look at these last verses starting in verse 4. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. This one is not death, but asleep in Christ. But let us be alert and self-control. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Encourage each other and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And so Paul has cleared up the confusion that the Thessalonian church has had. No, we don't know when Jesus is going to return no, your loved one has not died in missing out on the victory of Jesus Christ's return. Now let's focus ourselves towards being ready for when Christ returns. We must be alert and ready. We must be self-controlled. And we should be encouraging each other to be ready and alert and self-controlled. When you're tempted, when you're tempted to do a deep dive into Revelation to see if there's a formula that helps you know the date and time. Stop. Listen to Paul here. Focus on being ready. Whenever you're thinking about arguing with someone about the rapture or Armageddon or who is the Antichrist, stop. Listen to Paul. Focus and be ready and encourage one another to be ready. There are two times that Jesus uh, tells the parable of the talents in the Gospels. Uh, one is called the parable of the minus in Luke's account, and he starts it in this way, Luke chapter 19, verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing, right? Luke tells us that Jesus tells the parable of the talents or the minus because people thought that the kingdom of God was about to happen right then and there. There was confusion about when, where, how, the end of the age. But listen to the parable. 
a wealthy nobleman who was about to go on a trip, and he gave his servants ten mina apiece. And he, put them to, he told them to put that money to work until he returned. And when he returned, he came back. And his first servant, he had created ten more mina. Oh, well done. Well done, servant, he said, and put him in charge of more. The second servant came up and said, look, I produced five more mina. Oh, well done, the master said. Good job. You'll be in charge of more. But that final one, that final servant buried it. He just waited for his master to return. He just sat on it. He didn't put it to work. He just sat on it. The final servant disappointed the master by hiding his mina and not putting it to work, and he was punished for his disobedience because he was not a good steward of what God had given them. They're worried. Luke tells us they were worried. When, where, how. That was their focus. And Jesus in this parable said, no, don't worry about that. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. What you need to be focused on is what God has given you here and now to be a faithful steward now in this life and the time that God has given you. Because God has not appointed you to suffer wrath. Look at verse 9. God hasn't appointed you to have the outcome of this third servant no, he did not appoint you to suffer wrath. He appointed you to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He did not leave us, his servants, in order that he could come back and punish us. He appointed us to be faithful stewards so that we can experience life eternal with him. The whole point that Paul is trying to make here is that we've got to be good stewards now with what God has given us. Stop worrying about the times. Stop worrying about the dates. Stop worrying about what it's going to look like and how it's going to happen and start focusing on loving your neighbor, caring for the poor, the widowed, Start focusing on using what God has given you to bless this world. Because God has not appointed you to be punished. He appointed you to receive the salvation for when he returned. Blameless hope is a person who is living a holy life, putting his or her talents to work here, as we wait for God's return. And I hope these words have encouraged you to live that kind of life. 
before Jesus ascended into heaven, he suffered cruelly on a cross. And then he defeated death. And as we gather around the table this morning to take this communion together, we do so in unity, proclaiming the death of Jesus Christ until he returns. I have a song that I want to share with you this morning. It's a fairly popular on the radio, and I've enjoyed it. It's blessed my life. I hope it'll bless you as well. As I'm singing this song, will you go to one of these three stations that are set up and take some communion? Take it back to your seat and, and hold that communion. Reflect. Uh, Carl Bridges is going to come up and share a few thoughts. And we will take those cups together in unity, proclaiming Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross until the Lord returns. Stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I am so, so very grateful for your sacrifice. And I'm so very grateful for the new life found in your son Jesus Christ when he rose from the dead. Thank you for defeating death and giving us the hope that we have as we look forward to your return so that we can be caught up into the clouds with you in glory. Bless this time as we celebrate together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.